Greetings. Welcome to another episode of Rightly Divide the Word of Truth. This is Andrew S. Baker, and I'm your host for these Bible study podcasts. Today we are continuing with our review of the key principles of effective Bible study based on a booklet of the same name available on our podcast page at biblestudy.asbzone.com. This podcast is inspired by the following Bible verse, 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So what is the goal of this series of studies? It's to help you obtain greater value from your Bible study and devotional sessions. These episodes are about 15 to 20 minutes each, and focused on key principles that God teaches us through His Word. Most people know that Bible study is essential to the Christian experience, and many people realize that without prayer, Bible study is futile and unproductive. But there are other, less known principles that the Scriptures also teach us, and our goal is to present them to you. These will help you to see God's Word in a more expansive way and will assist you in becoming just like the noble Bereans of Acts 17, 10 through 12. Today's study is entitled, Precepts and Instructions Are Built Upon, Not Replaced. Before we begin our study, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of studying together like this. We invite your presence to be with us. Please grant unto us wisdom and understanding. May we rightly divide your words of truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. Precepts and instructions are built upon, not replaced. Because God knows the end from the beginning, he generally establishes precepts and ordinances that are permanent or that foreshadow permanent precepts and ordinances. Anything that God establishes remains in place until a definitive statement is made regarding a change. This is very similar to the way in which speed limit signs are used. The last posted speed limit is intended to be the current speed limit. The speed limit doesn't just become zero or a hundred when you don't see a sign for some time. Instead, the last posted sign remains in force until further notice and unless superseded by an already established rule for example, speed limit within cities or within the city limits. As an indication of how long God expects that things will operate once he has put them into place, let us consider how Jesus responded to questions that were raised during his earthly ministry, which pertained to man's salvation. Whenever anyone asked Jesus about the pathway to eternal life, he would point them back to the laws and statutes given to Moses some 1,000 years prior to Christ's earthly ministry. This instruction was clearly intended to last. Also consider this. The patterns of human behavior that were recorded in the Old Testament are the same ones that Jesus instructed us to watch out for in the end times, as it was in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Lot. When studying the scriptures, we can rest assured that every new instruction builds upon previous instructions, and that any instructions which are not mentioned for a while are still in force until they are explicitly indicated as being replaced or fulfilled in some fashion. Each new command, directive, principle, 
precept, and example is to be understood as building upon the ones that came before and therefore will not be in opposition to them. By knowing what we have already been instructed, we will know how to assess and understand every new bit of guidance that comes our way, and we will be able to discern truth from falsehood. We will never be given new directives by any means which contradict previously given directives from the Word of God. Okay, And this is why, as we were discussing in a previous episode, this is why when a sheet is given to Peter, is put, pulled down from heaven, has all sorts of animals in it, and he's told, arise, kill, and eat, he doesn't say, oh, new instructions from God. I'll just disregard everything I've ever been told previously. No. He knew what God had said, and he knew that God meant what he said, and he did not interpret this new instruction to be an elimination of the old instruction. So that's why he wondered what it was about. And when he finally understood and saw how God worked on Cornelius and his family, then he understood that the issue was one of salvation, not of consumption. Additionally, a lot of times we look at the Bible and we come to the conclusion, but salvation was for the Jews and now it was open to the Gentiles. That's not exactly correct. That's not exactly correct. God always intended for salvation to include the Gentiles. In fact, had Israel done what it was supposed to do, they would have long since, the Gentiles would have long since been aware of what God was doing, and they would have been drawn to him in the way that the Queen of Sheba was drawn to Solomon and his temple, right? The influence of Israel, had they kept the laws of God fully, would have allowed the, the nations around them to recognize God and become part. We have examples of that already working. Rahab adopts the God of Israel. So does Ruth. Okay? They were not Israelites. And yet, they were grafted in. They were adopted into the family because they recognized the God of Israel and they discarded their old gods and their old culture and their old everything. That was how God intended that the witnessing would have worked. Israel perverted it, and so now we see a time where the, where the Gentiles are opened more directly because Israel rejected, as a nation, they rejected that privilege that they had of being the primary witnesses of God's truth. But let's not pretend that God for thousands of years was like, no Gentile will be saved, and then, oh, you know what? Starting today, we're going to let Gentiles in. That's not true. Okay, Naaman was healed way in the Old Testament of his leprosy, and he acknowledged God, that he would serve no other God, right? So God was always doing it. The widow of Zarephath is especially privileged by the presence of Elijah, and she recognizes God. So the New Testament, while there's a greater emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit and a greater emphasis on the gospel going to the Gentiles en masse. The idea that the Gentiles were excluded 
from salvation prior to that is erroneous. It's not supported from the Bible. They were not excluded. They just weren't being recruited as actively and as massively as they were after the fact. Okay, And Paul explains that in Romans, um, that the Jews forfeited their, their position, and, and so the apostles went to the Gentiles directly, whereas it was supposed to happen a little bit more organically. God placed Israel in a very central place where every, everything came through the land of Canaan. It was a connecting link between all of the, the, the areas around. That's why it's being, even today, we fight the, the, on this planet, we fight over that piece of land because it's a strategic piece of land and, and lots of commerce and, and culture and everything comes through there, right? God designed. That's why he picked that spot for the headquarters for the work he would, of salvation that he planned to do. But since the time in the promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15 and Genesis 18, God promises that in Abraham will the nations of the world be blessed, right? All the nations would be blessed in him. So it was always his intention that the Gentiles would be brought in. The Israelites were slow to do that and had been taught for so long that the Gentiles were these hideous and inferior people God had to move slowly with these guys to get them to realize, no, 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 I, I intend to deal with the Gentiles favorably as well. I, I, Christ came to save every person. And you can see how, how shocked the Israelites are. They are absolutely shocked that the Holy Ghost fell upon Cornelius and his family. And God had to do it by, by while Peter was preaching, just so there'd be no mistake about it. While Peter was preaching, the Holy Ghost fell upon them. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. Acts 10.45 As many as came with Peter, because on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. God had to show them. That's why the Holy Spirit told Peter, I sent some people for you. Just go. Don't ask any questions. Just go. And then when he gets there and says, well, why am I here? They said, well, angel, I was praying. And, and I was sent, I was told to get you and learn the words of truth. He says, okay, I, I realize that God is no respect of persons. And he starts to preach. And as he preaches, the Holy Spirit falls on them, basically saying, you know what you need to do, right? Because you're supposed to get water baptized and spirit baptized. And, and in every other case in the New Testament, water baptism comes first. In every other instance in the, even Jesus was baptized and came out of the water before the Holy Spirit came upon him. Even Jesus. But in this case, the Holy Spirit falls on them first so that they don't have any excuse. And Peter basically says that in Acts 10, 47. Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? So he's, he's saying, okay, do you want to be the guy saying, oh, you can't do that now, right? The Holy Spirit had to help them to understand that this thing about saving the Gentiles was for real. But it doesn't mean that God had changed his mind about that. It means that the people had a perverted idea about what that meant. The emphasis here is that each new command is going to build on a previous one. So let's look at our verses from the King James Version. Malachi 3.6 For I am the Lord, I change not Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Right? God is saying, listen, I am perfect and all-knowing. 
I put in place things that are going to last. Okay. And I know someone is saying, oh, but the sacrificial system, we'll get to that. There's an answer for that. But it's an answer that's built on all these principles that we're reading here. Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 4. Now watch this. This is important. If there arise among you a prophet or a dream of dreams and give it thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dream of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and ye shall serve him and cleave to him. Now, let's emphasize this here. In another passage, we're told if someone's a prophet and they come up and they say X, Y, and Z, and X, Y, and Z doesn't come to pass, you don't have to pay any attention to them. Okay, so that's one, one sign of a prophet. The things they say will come to pass. But now here's a second piece. So fine, now you have a prophet who gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or wonder comes to pass. But the thing that he's telling you to do when it comes to pass is that you'll go after other gods. And the Lord's like, no. The only reason I let that sign or wonder even come to pass is as a test for you, right? As a test for you to see whether you're going to actually serve the Lord your God. So again, even if a prophet proves himself to be a prophet of something, someone, right? If his instruction invalidates or goes against what has already been given of God, it cannot be true. It can't be true. Okay? Genesis 17, 7. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. This is Abraham being spoken to here. Right? Everlasting covenant. Now, it's true that the word everlasting is used in the Bible in a couple of different contexts, but the covenant is everlasting, and that's a permanent covenant. Psalms 119, 152. Concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old that thou hast founded them forever. And testimonies here are synonymous with God's word. Concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old that thou hast founded them forever. Revelation 14.6 says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Everlasting gospel. Okay? So the emphasis here, and we shouldn't be surprised, this is how, this is how laws of, of every country work. When Congress or a king or a president or whomever, depending on what country you're in and what circumstance, prime minister, when they roll out a new law, does anyone assume that all the other laws are now null and void? Why do we have that weird conclusion in the Bible? Oh, look, Jesus made a new commandment. Therefore, no other commandments stand. Really? How is that even possible? How is that even possible? Countries and governments and municipalities are forever releasing new laws. And the only thing that gets interfered with is an old law 
of the same type, right? So obviously, when a country or a government or a state comes out and says, hey, the new speed limit is 75 miles an hour instead of 70, right? Or, or they don't even say instead of, right? Let's, let's just, let's make it even simpler. Currently, uh, in West Virginia, the speed limit is 70 miles an hour. The maximum interstate speed limit is 70 miles an hour. If they come out tomorrow and say the new speed limit is 75, you know that that means that the interstate speed limit is 75. It does not mean that every road is suddenly 75 miles an hour. No one would come to that conclusion. No one could justify coming to that conclusion, right? Someone might come to that conclusion, but after the first ticket and fine, um, and, and court appearance, they would certainly be disabused of that notion, right? So you wouldn't expect that the changing of the speed limit on the interstate would eradicate all other laws in that, in that province or state or, or municipality, nor would you assume that it addressed, that it changed all laws on all roads, nor would you assume that it changed laws for things not pertaining to roads, like workers' compensation and employment law and real estate law. No one would assume that. But with God's law, we assume that as soon as a new law shows up, all other laws are thrown out. No, it doesn't work that way at all. Laws and precepts and principles build on each other. And when something is replacing something else, there's a specific process whereby that is done. Remember, we will never be given new directives by any means which contradict previously given directives from the Word of God. Thanks for taking this time to study with us today. We encourage you to prayerfully review the booklet in conjunction with this recording. Let's close our study with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy and your goodness. We thank you for your consistency and your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, for these principles, which maybe we should already have known them, but we're grateful that we have an opportunity to see them and to apply them. Please help us as we go about our day-to-day -day devotionals and studies that we will apply them, that we will seek wisdom from on high, and that we will rightly divide your words of truth in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening in. And if you have any questions, be sure to send them to BibleQuestions at ASBZone.com, and we will do our best, by God's grace, to provide you with biblical answers to those questions. If you are finding these studies to be a blessing, please let us know all about it, and also share these studies with others. Until we meet again next time, May God richly bless you as you study his word.